Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And today, we are talking about the first in a long series of games. It's one of my favorite series of all time. And we're talking about the first entry that we finally received in North America in 2020, but was released in Japan in 1990. And of course, we're talking about the first game in the Fire Emblem series, Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light. Yeah, Fire Emblem now, it's weird to think about because it's become such a staple in the Nintendo franchises. But for a while there, growing up with the Nintendo games, I don't think the American audiences really knew a lot about Fire Emblem, except for that there were a couple of characters in Super Smash Brothers. And that's really where I feel like the interest in those games started to pick up a little bit more. We had a similarity in Final Fantasy, but Fire Emblem gave us sort of that classic Nintendo twist on uh, turn-based RPGs. Yeah, I mean, we first see Fire Emblem in 2003 um, with a couple different Game Boy Advance games um, leading to the DS and then, yeah, leading to like Marth and Roy being kind of the first intros for people in Smash Bros who hadn't played either the Game Boy games for that. And then obviously in our latest Smash Bros, having what, like six characters or so from Fire Emblem somewhere around I there. I mean, at this point, it's become Super Sword Brothers because of how many characters there are that have swords Yes, uh, from the Fire Emblem series. And it existed with it. So it's one of my favorite series I'm excited to talk about today. So let's jump right into it. Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light is a tactical role-playing game developed by Intelligent Systems and Nintendo R&D 1 and published by Nintendo for the Famicom. It is the first installment in the Fire Emblem series and was originally published in Japan in 1990. Set on the fictional continent of Arcania, the story follows the tale of Marth, prince of the kingdom of Altia, who is sent on a quest to reclaim his throne after being forced into exile by the evil sorcerer Garnef and his dark master, Medius, the titular Shadow Dragon. Forming new alliances with neighboring kingdoms, Marth must gather a new army to help him retrieve the sacred sword Falchion and the Fire Emblem Shield in order to defeat Garnef and Medius and save his kingdom. The gameplay revolves around turn-based battles on grid-based maps with defeated units being subject to permanent death. Beginning development in 1987, it was conceived by designer and writer Shozu Kaga, who wanted to combine the strategic elements of Intelligent Systems' previous simulation project, Famicom Wars, with the story, characters, and world of a traditional role-playing video game influenced by Cure Software's First Queen. Kaisuke Terasake acted as director and Gonpei Yoki produced while the music was composed by Yuka Sujiyoko. The scale of the game meant that the team needed to find ways around memory storage problems and make compromises with the graphics and storyline. 
While initial sales and critical reception were lackluster, it later became popular, launching the Fire Emblem series. The game would later be credited with popularizing the tactical role-playing genre in general. The game was officially localized and released outside of Japan for the first time on the Nintendo Switch on December 4th, 2020, in commemoration of the franchise's 30th anniversary. This updated version features new quality of life improvements, such as fast-forwarding and rewinding through player and enemy turns, and the ability to create suspend points in the middle of gameplay. Intelligence systems started out in the video game industry when programmer Toru Narihiro was hired by Nintendo to port Famicom Disk System software to the standard ROM cartridge format that was being used outside Japan on the NES. Similar to the origins of HAL Laboratory, the team soon became an auxiliary program unit for Nintendo that provided system tools and hired people to program, fix, or port Nintendo-developed software. Much of the team's original work consists of minor contributions to larger games developed by Nintendo R&D 1 and Nintendo EAD. Narahiro programmed his first video games, Famicom Wars and Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light, towards the end of the Famicom's life cycle, although the game design, graphic design, and music was provided by the Nintendo R&D 1 team. Because of Narahiro's success, Intelligent Systems began to hire graphic designers, programmers, and musicians to extend the company from an auxiliary tool developer to a game development group. The company continued to develop new entries in the Wars and Fire Emblem franchises. In 2000, Intelligent Systems produced Paper Mario for the Nintendo 64, which ended up becoming a surprise hit, leading to five sequels being produced. Three years later, the first entry in the WarioWare series was released on the Game Boy Advance, and it too became a successful series. Now, as we talked about before, Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light was co-developed by Intelligent Systems, as Derek had said, and Nintendo Research and Development 1, or R&D 1. It began after Intelligent Systems turned its attention away from developing hardware for the Famicom towards creating what they called simulation games. It was directed by Terasaki and produced by Yokoi. The initial concept was created by Shozu Kaga, who acted as scenario writer and designer. The graphics and character art was cooperatively handled by Toru Oasawa, Naotaka Onishi, Satoshi Mashida, and Toshitaka Muromasu. The music was composed by Yuka Sujiyoko, with technical guidance by Hirokazu Tanaka. Suzyoko, who would become a recurring composer for the series, became involved as she was the only composer then employed by Intelligent Systems. The initial development team was not very large, and several staff members undertook multiple tasks. Conceptual development for Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light began in 1987, three years prior to its release. The concept was first decided upon after the completion of Famicom Wars, as the team wanted to move away from the war-based setting of Famicom Wars and create a role-playing experience. The project was first proposed to Nintendo by Kaga with a design document. The document included all the base elements, including the story, main character, and gameplay mechanics. At this stage, the project was called Battle Fantasy Fire Emblem. Kaga cites Cure Software's First Queen as an influence for the game. The staff never considered the game as a commercial product, 
being defined by Kaga as a doujin product that was made on a whim. To make the game accessible to a wide audience, Kaga did his best to avoid emphasizing stats and other numerical data. The game's genre necessitated the extensive use of the Famicom cartridge's memory, and Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light exceeded those limits, so intelligent systems used a portion of memory dedicated to saving games to get around this limitation. With Nintendo's help, they created a new chip for the cartridge that they could process and display Japanese text. Kaga wanted to create a scenario where players would care about the characters in a similar way to a role-playing video game. According to Kaga, while role-playing games had strong stories but limited protagonists, tactical games had multiple characters but a weak story. Fire Emblem was his solution, combining the two to create a fun gameplay experience with relatable characters. This lack of emphasis on a single character was intentional, to the point that even Marth was not considered by Kaga to be the main character. The setting and characters drew inspiration from classical mythology. During the early story draft, there were two dragons that acted as bosses, the earth dragon Gaia and the water dragon Neptune. While Neptune was scrapped due to hardware limitations, Gaia would evolve into the character of Medeus. The series titular Fire Emblem appears in its first and most recognizable form as a shield with mystical power. The artifact's title made reference to war and the power of dragons, which would form a key part of future entries. The use of such an extensive story approach was a rarity in Famicom games at the time, which were still beset by memory storage problems. Multiple scenarios were also planned by Kaga to alleviate the linear feel of the campaign but this could not be managed. The initial plan was to create set-piece graphics for key story moments, similar to simulation titles on PC games. Among the scenes initially planned were Marth kneeling next to the character Jagan in a pool of blood, and two characters escaping from an ambush. To try and accommodate the advanced graphics, the team opted to use an MMC3 memory chip, the adoption of the MMC3 was influenced by memory space difficulties experienced by the team during the development of Famicom Wars. When it was discovered that the chip only had one megabyte of memory, the team were forced to streamline the graphics and visuals, resulting in the set-piece graphics being cut. The reduced emphasis on graphics meant that the game was not visually impressive, which was later regretted by Kaga and other team members. During its early advertising, the game was dubbed Hono no Mansho, or Emblem of Fire, and used character and narrative concepts that did not appear in the final product. The graphics also underwent changes, being particularly noticeable with Marth's hair color and style. The game was advertised on television with a live-action commercial featuring a version of the Fire Emblem theme. Filming the commercial proved troublesome. The actors overheated due to their heavy costumes, and the light and sound effects made the horse on set skittish. The commercial required 20 retakes. The game was released on April 20th, 1990. In Japan, an emulated version of the game was released via Virtual Console. It was released for Wii on October 29th, 2009, for Nintendo 3DS on August 1st, 2012, for the Wii U on June 4th, 2014. The game was made available for Nintendo Switch Online subscribers in Japan and Hong Kong as of March 13th, 2019. And as we said, it was released for the Nintendo Switch on December 4th, 2020 for a limited time in North America, Europe, and Oceania. 
This was the game's first release in which it was officially localized into English. A special edition Fire Emblem 30th Anniversary Edition bundle was available exclusively in North America, which includes a download code for the game, as well as various physical items, including a replica NES game pack with its own packaging and instruction manual. The game was delisted from the eShop on March 31st, 2021. Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light is a tactical role-playing game where players take on the role of Marth and his growing army during their campaign across the continent of Arcanea. The game progresses in a linear fashion, with maps being unlocked and played as dictated by the storyline. Each playable character is assigned to unique character classes that have various functions in battle, such as being mounted or having access to magic. A unit's class affects their range of movement and strength on the battlefield. Mounted or flying units have greater mobility, archers have a greater attack range, while heavily armored characters have more defense. Each character has a set character class, and each time a unit raises its experience level, its various stats increase randomly. There are a total of 25 characters that can be recruited over the course of the game, and 21 available classes for the majority of the characters with the exception of main protagonist, Marth. Battles use a turn-based battle system with a limited number of player units and enemy units, each taking turns and moving across a grid-based battlefield. Battles are won by the player defeating key enemy units such as commanders and other boss characters. In battle, the game transitions to a dedicated battle arena, where the battle plays out in real time. Each action yields experience points, and when the character earns 100 experience points, they level up, their health increases, and their class-specified statistics are randomly raised. During missions, towns and secret vendors can be visited, where new items such as healing potions, weapons, and armor can be purchased. Weapons and armor are specific to different characters, and each weapon has a limited lifespan before breaking when it reaches its limit. Currency is limited to certain scripted or player-driven events or wagering on arena battles. If a character falls in battle, they are subjected to permanent death, removing them from subsequent missions and the rest of the storyline. The game ends if Marth falls in battle. Now, when it comes to the story, long ago, the continent of Arcanea was invaded by the Dor Empire, led by the shadow dragon Medeas. Anri, a youth from Altea, defeated the Shadow Dragon using the divine sword Falchion. The kingdom of Arcanea was restored and the world entered an era of peace. However, 100 years later, Medeus is resurrected by the evil wizard Garnev, who has conquered the mage state of Caden. The two form an alliance with the kingdoms of Macedon and Grust in order to conquer the world. Cornelius, the king of Altea and successor of Anri, takes up Falchion and leaves to battle them, leaving his son Marth and daughter Elise in the care of his castle, manned by Altea's ally, Gra. However, Gra betrays Altea to Dor. Cornelius is killed, Falchion is stolen, and Elise sacrifices herself so Marth can escape. Accompanied by a handful of knights, he takes refuge in the island nation of Talis. Several years later, Marth repels a pirate invasion of Talis, leading its king to conclude that he is ready to battle Dolor. He sends Marth out with several of his most trusted men and his daughter, Princess Kadea. 
Marth first rescues the kingdoms of Aurelius and enlists the aid of its king's younger brother, Duke Hardin, and his retainers. He meets Princess Naya, the last survivor of the Arcanian royal family and leader of the resistance against Delore. She gives him the Fire Emblem, a legendary treasure given to the hero destined to save the world. The two march to Arcania and free it from Grust's grasp. After briefly invading Cadine in search of Falchion, Marth retakes Altea. He learns that his mother was killed in the invasion and that Garneth is holding Elise prisoner. Marth next battles Grust and their top general, Kamas, who rescued Nina from execution at Dolorean hands. He chooses to uphold his honor as a knight of Grust, and Marth is forced to defeat him. Marth is contacted by Goto a wise old sage who informs him that Garnef wields the tomb Imhulu, making him invincible. The only thing capable of defeating him is the magic of Starlight, which I just want to jump in. Side note, that means he's not invincible, but okay. Goto sends Marth to the Fane of Raman to find the materials needed to create Starlight. He also rescues the divine dragon Tiki. Marth then invades Mesodon and deposes the tyrannical king Michaelius, with the aid of Michaelius' sister, Minerva. There, Goto reforges Starlight. Marth invades Kaiden once more, defeats Garneth, reclaims Falchion, and rescues Elise. He then makes his way to Delore, battles, and defeats Medeus, returning peace to the land. If Kaida has survived the events of the game, she and Marth declare their love for one another. The series' original music was composed by Yuka Sujiyoko. As the only music composer at Intelligent Systems, when Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light was in production, she acted as both composer and sound director up until Thracius 776 when she left the company to become a freelancer after completing the score for Paper Mario. She has worked on later Fire Emblem games alongside other composers including Saki Kasuga, Hiroki Morishida, and Ray Kondo. The series includes several other notable staff members. Toru Narihiro, who was involved in every Fire Emblem since the original, Masahiro Higuchi, who began as a graphics designer for Genealogy of the Holy War, and Kuhei Maeda, who wrote the scenarios for every game since The Blazing Blade and became a director for Awakening. According to Kaga, upon release, Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light received extensive criticism from Japanese publications. Many of them noted that it was difficult to understand and had fairly poor graphics, awarding it low scores. In contrast, popular opinion was more positive. In a poll taken by Family Computer Magazine, the game scored 23.48 points out of 30. Likewise, sales of the game were flat for the first two months of sales but improved after word of mouth had spread. According to Kaga, a notable journalist devoted a Famitsu column to the game, and this prompted sales to pick up around half a year after release. As of 2002, Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light had sold 329,087 units, being the third best-selling title in the series to that date. According to Metacritic, the Nintendo Switch version received mixed or average reviews based on a weighted average score of 62 out of 100 from 29 critics. 
The website also stated that the game understandably failed to impress modern critics. Despite the slow start, Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light proved enough of a success that a sequel was commissioned. This would become Fire Emblem Gaiden, which was released in 1992. Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light was partially remade as part of the third installment, Fire Emblem Mystery of the Emblem, which also continued the story of Marth. A full remake for the Nintendo DS was released internationally under the title Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon, marking the first time the content of the first Fire Emblem was made available outside Japan. The setting of Arcanea would be used again for the 13th entry, Fire Emblem Awakening. Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light not only launched the wider Fire Emblem series, but is also seen as the reason the tactical role-playing genre became popular in Japan. It has thus been credited with indirectly influencing the creation of other notable games within the genre, including Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together, Final Fantasy Tactics, and the Disgaea series. The basic mechanics within Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light would form the basis for the gameplay of nearly all subsequent Fire Emblem titles. In addition to helping popularize the genre, it is also credited with pioneering multimedia advertising through its use of a live-action television commercial in addition to magazine previews, which would later be used for series such as The Legend of Zelda. Its combination of battle and story segments also provided inspiration for the gameplay of the Sakura Wars series. So a lot to kind of unpack at the end there and talking about, one, we finished in record time. Two, oh, yeah, I, baby. I wanted to provide this for our staple to talk more about Fire Emblem in general. And I wanted to bring this up as we talk more about this game and kind of why we chose it in the ways of seeing a title that wasn't critically successful, I would say, but is then kind of picked up in more of like this cult following built into a true following with its fans. And, you know, we see where it is today. So as always, Derek, why don't you go ahead and start it up of why did we choose this and what do you think of it? Yeah, the first Fire Emblem game and just a really interesting path, I think, to make its way to Western audiences. You know, I touched on just that Inclusion of Marth and Roy in Super Smash Bros. Melee, I think, was such a big, important step to really get this game to Western audiences, um, which I, I do think is an important part of its development because it becomes a more rounded series. You know, there were a lot of concepts, I think, in this early Fire Emblem game that they wanted to do that they weren't able to do because of the technological disadvantages that were just a result of the era in which they were trying to do them. And we talk a lot about that, where it's just thinking about things through the lens of when they were released. What actually led to the decisions being made that they did ultimately run with? And Fire Emblem, I think, had enough of a vision behind it to where even though this game wasn't necessarily the most successful, it wasn't the most well-received game, there was enough of a vision there that they had the improvement of the technology on their side to create what is now a very, very successful franchise for Nintendo. Yeah, and it, it's one of those two where, like, you know, we see in 90, Shadow Dragon comes out, 92, we have Gaiden. And from there, we really only have a one-year gap for the most part, um, except between Awakening and Fates from 2012-2015. 
that's only like two year jump, but you're talking about pretty much from 90 until 2023 when we got engaged, we're seeing a fire emblem entry that's mainline. We have plenty of others, like you said, that come out into characters in Super Smash Bros, into the Warriors series of kind of following the Dynasty Warriors thing that came over to Nintendo, where we have a lot of Zelda stuff and then Fire Emblem in it. And these titles, you know, we, we don't even see Fire Emblem in a Western setting, or I should say, or I should say localized Westernly until 2003, when we get the Blazing Blade, which is the actual title, but for us in America, it's called Fire Emblem. There's our whole title for it. And it's following the 2002 uh, Binding Blade, which was the Japanese term for the exact same game, just now localized a year later. And so for that to have such a great success and really did set up the turn-based gridded battle system is huge from taking the idea of like, hey, we like turn-based games, but they're devoid of fun at times. And we like fun games, but they're devoid of story at times. How do we marry this together so well? And they did it. And, and really for me, I think one of my biggest points to bring up is how much is included in that first game, having 20 plus different characters, having 20 plus different classes to choose from. So you can kind of customize the way that you play with this. And for that to carry on through the entire series We obviously have things that have updated and been added, like the reversing turns, going back in time. You can do permadeath or no permadeath. But for that to be established and carry on the series is fantastic. Well, and one of the things that I I think makes the Fire Emblem games so different is, I mean, from the outset, just saying Marth isn't really the protagonist. Mm -hmm. He, He is the protagonist. But it's like a game in a series that doesn't really need like one main protagonist. It has all these different characters that are that are all just a collective, and you can play how you want to play. Whatever strategy you want to uh, employ is yours. You know, if you prefer more of the tanky people, I think in Fire Emblem you want to have like a decent balance because you have to. Because certain ba- battles just require it you know Mm -hmm. if you if you have people you've never used before it's not gonna go well but it's just interesting because marth and roy you know they enter that realm in super smash brothers and then you think okay well marth is like the main guy or roy is like the main guy and it's like well kind of yes but also no not really and Sure, he's like the guy that I think it's sort of shoehorned into the team in Fire Emblem, where it's if Marth dies, the story can't go on. He's sort of the driving force behind the story. But I think that including all those characters, you're right, really helps to bring the focus off of him. If you wanted to have a different favorite character, you could absolutely do that. And so I think what really is ultimately the story of Fire Emblem for me, is just a great launching off point for the series where, you know, this this game, and and I say Fire Emblem, but really Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light is, is just such a great launching off point for the series. They had the vision. They just didn't have the memory. They didn't have the graphic space. They didn't have a lot of the things that were holding games back 
at that time, but they did something different. They said, we want to make a game that has story, where a lot of the NES-era games, you were getting a little bit of background maybe in the booklet that came with the game. That would sort of tell you, hey, here's what these characters are. They'd give you a nice artist drawing, you know, maybe a nice watercolor or something like that. Like, this is what we really think this thing looks like. Here's sort of the background on them. Now we're going to drop you into the game. So when you see them, you know. But the game itself was not the thing driving any sort of narrative or anything like that. You had to read the booklet ahead of time to sort of get that bigger picture if you wanted it. And then, you know, outside of Fire Emblem, Intelligent Systems, just what a hit machine. I mean, doing Paper Mario, doing WarioWare, doing the Advanced Wars stuff as well, which very limited game series, but Mm -hmm. definitely received well. And then, of course, launching off Fire Emblem, which is the biggest of those four. So a lot of great concepts came from this studio and background. and. I think that just having that good overall vision and the space to operate, they really sort of have a unique place within the Nintendo uh, cult of personality Mm -hmm. where they're sort of able to do their own things that are a little quirkier that because they have this clear vision ultimately end up being successful. Yes. I mean, that's exactly it. Going to intelligent systems, uh, creating paper Mario, which for me is hands down. One of my favorite games of all time. Yep. One of the biggest things too, it still stands the test of time and doing it in such a smart way where it's like, it's paper. So it's technically like 2d on 3d. So the, the graphic fidelity still stands. All of it still stands in that. And the not handholdy portion of it, the making the combat your own, getting allies that are all unique and have a cool story to them is just so much fun. And it's just such a great game. And for, you know, this whole team to continue that on, especially in the music side of it and continue on in the development side of it is, is just so cool. So I really, when it comes to like tactical or turn-based or RPG games, like I think as far as Nintendo goes, Intelligent Systems like dominates like dominates it wholeheartedly in that sphere of it and really has launched this entire project. And this project being like, Hey, we don't think it's going to be a commercial success. It's just going to be a fun game. Yeah. Some people may pick it up. Some people may have it, but we're just going to do it because we can was the mindset. And for it, you know, you, even when you put a piece of art out there, you don't want those negative reviews, which is unfortunately what they got like kind of at that first start, but then just snowballing. And snowballing enough to take a very niche game, which I will say, a caveat for it, it does suffer the Pokemon curse of it's the same story in every game told slightly differently. Mm-hmm. It's still entertaining enough to be like, oh, is there going to be a dragon at the end? <laughs> is this like crazy bad thing going to happen? Like, we just don't know. We just don't know what's going to happen with that. But we do know. Yeah. And it's funny because they they really, they say the story, like that's the emphasis for Fire Emblem. But it's, it's not necessarily the actual story. It's just the fact that the video games didn't have stories in them. And this one did. Yes. And then ever since then, yeah, you're absolutely right. The Pokemon treatment 
you know, who's the chosen one for this game? They're going to discover themselves somehow. Let's, you know, just go through the motions. We know what the Fire Emblem game is. We know ultimately mm-hmm. what it's going to be. And you you could say that, I think, about a lot of Nintendo titles. And what always makes the Nintendo titles fun and unique is gameplay elements and just being well-made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that's why they're able to get away with that. But yeah, a lot of fun. Love the Fire Emblem series. Uh, they continue to put out great games. I think that this game in particular, it's really hard to rate it highly. Um, yes. Did not age well. But go back and try and play turn-based RPGs from that era. You know, play the first Final Fantasy. It's the same thing where it's just a lot of like, you know, weird land structure. You know, Mm -hmm. the graphics aren't good. It's hard to think about this game and say, oh, man, like 10 out of 10. This is the the best game because it's really not. And it's really probably more like a four out of 10. And it's weird, too, because it was a Japanese exclusive for so long. And then they release it way after the fact. You know, they do a remake and then they also put this on Switch eventually for a very limited time. But it's like by that point, they had figured so many things out within the Fire Emblem series that make Fire Emblem good that were not present in this game. So when this is like your very first introduction back in 1990, probably really interesting when it's like hey i'm gonna go back just to dive into the origins of the game well you're not really getting like any sort of deep lore benefit which i feel like would have been the most beneficial thing to going back and playing this game it's really i think for the fire emblem mega fans out there to go back and want to play something like this so for me like a four out of ten, or what? What was that one rating? It was like twenty six point four seven out of thirty. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, this is definitely like I would say I am a hardcore Fire Emblem fan. I've played, I believe, every re- American release. I've never played this on the the Switch itself, but I have played this on like a port um, for an emulation of it, and I've played through every North American release there are ones that are better than others. There are ones that innovated in a way, but fell to the wayside, maybe in character development or just in interest in the game itself. And for me, that doesn't, you know, I would agree. This is not something that I I think stands the test of time like Paper Mario does. It is dated. It's the first of its kind. I mean, we just got Super Mario Bros, you know, for the NES and for the Famicom five years earlier. And then you have a whole story-based game with like these intricacies coming out. And it's a whole different shift from like, I have Jumpman, I press A, to, hey, here's a very complex system of like number crunching and like doing these things and making this work. And so, yeah, in retrospect, I don't really think it's fair as this first game to give it a rating besides like, it's an ancestor. It is an establishment, is a thing that brought this series. And it's a series that is very near and dear to me that I love. So if I had to give it a rating, it would honestly be um, probably just just a few words I'm going to give for it. It's three words in total, Derek. It is something that makes our hearts sing. It's something that we love deeply to a passion. When a crowd chants it to us, you just love it. 
and it's Roy's our boy. Roy's <laughs> our boy. Ah, <laughs> uh, that brings back some deep memories. Roy was my boy many, many times. Roy was my boy. He's all our boy. And if I and I would give that out of ten. Chance in a row of Roy's our boy. That's, that's a great, great rating. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music for this episode was given to us by our friend Evan Barr, and our lovely artwork was provided by Aaron Shattuck. Beautiful, lovely people. Also want to thank those beautiful people on Patreon. They're supporting us economically, as well as keeping us sane. Uh, you can check us out at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where you can see some really cool physical and digital rewards, as well as get to chat with us and various other things and thingies. Want to thank a select few today with Snide T-Bird, Nick Hyman, and Anthony Gooch. Thank you so much for the support. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, drop us a review. It helps us out a lot, and we love to hear from you. As always, you can check us out on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash sourman seven zero as well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. And if you'd like, please come join us on our Discord. It's free to join. Alex and I are hanging out there all the time, talking movies, talking games, talking all kinds of different stuff, looking at pets. Maybe we want to talk about some food. The link is in the description below, and we'd love to see you there. And with that... That has been our coverage of Fire Emblem, Shadow Dragon, and the Blade of Light. Are there any other ancestor games, I guess we will say, any other like genre-establishing games or games that like are close and near and dear that live up to the hype that you believe in, at least in your headcanon? Let us know. Drop us in our socials, and we'll see what we cover next. With that, as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And this has been... Finish the fight, a gaming podcast. Mm-hmm.